it. And we're on. Introducing Grant Geyer, Chief Product Officer at Clarity, a leading cyber physical system security firm. How are you, mate? Great. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, mate. Good to yeah. see you. So when did you get into New York? <laughs> this morning, I rolled out of bed at 4 a.m. to make an 8.30 <laughs> a.m. meeting here. So, uh... Okay. Well, I'm in the 4 a.m. club as well because okay. I'm jet lagged from landing last night. Um, but look, great, great to see you, mate. I know you was in Tel Aviv a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, most of my, uh, I'm the chief product officer on the product management and engineering team, and uh, most of the organization is is in Tel Aviv, so yeah. I'm there quite frequently. Yeah, yeah. So where's home for you? Uh, originally from New York, yeah, uh, okay. the city, but now uh, lived in Bethesda, Maryland, just outside Washington. Yeah, so. nice, cool, cool. Well, Grant, with all of my guests, I like to take it right back to, to where it all began and sort of how you got into the industry, mate. So uh, it's kind of like. Um, uh, I don't know, like a bizarre story that, especially that we were, we're filming this today. Yeah. Um, back in uh, 1991 at West Point, there was one course offered in cybersecurity, then known as information security. And there was a gentleman who went to the Naval Academy, he branch transferred to the Air Force, and he wanted to spend time at all th uh, three service academies. And so he left the NSA for a year to teach at West Point. Uh, and that gentleman's name was Chris Inglis, who just left government. He was um, the uh, national cyber director, and he actually just joined Clary's advisory oh, board. Yeah, yeah. And he's in the office today. Oh, no way. <laughs> right. Bring him so, in. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, in the office today. And uh, I had the opportunity to, to lecture the former national security uh, agency director on cybersecurity, kind of like uh, my, my former teacher, kind of like this uh, surreal experience. Yes. Yeah, so is West Point uh, a like a government university or is it like military? Yeah. So, so it's basically um, the nation's university for growing leaders in the army. And so right. there's, there's a army, uh, which is West Point Navy, which is Annapolis coast guard Academy and the air force Academy. So there's one for each equivalent to like Sandhurst. In got the it. UK. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So after university, what was the, uh, the first role? And I, I wanted to do cybersecurity so badly, but nobody wanted me to do it. So I, uh, as an Army officer, you have to kind of go through uh, the paces. And I was an Army military intelligence officer doing some pretty interesting things. We worked um, uh, in an area of, of um, intelligence known as tech and technical intelligence, with the idea being that as new innovations appeared on the battlefield, uh, you would need a team of analysts who can get captured enemy equipment, figure out how it worked, look for innovations, and wow. proliferated that intelligence out to the uh, uh, out to the rest of the warfighters. And so I, I I learned how to drive stick shift on a T-72 Russian tank. Like uh, I got to use all the equipment. We trained the Rangers. We trained everyone how to use this, uh, this enemy equipment. So it was a pretty interesting experience. And then so going from that, you then went into the private sector yeah. transition. So when, when you made that transition, how was that for you? Because that must have been a... An experience in itself you know it, what made it uh not only interesting but fun is that i, I joined my uh, former roommate from west point okay. a guy named amit uran who's now the ceo of tenable yeah uh we both went into cybersecurity, and um i left uh, the government and i was one of the first i think 15 people at riptech yeah. which was his first uh endeavor in the cybersecurity space so i don't know i was working with a bunch of friends and it kind of felt like home yeah, yeah, nice. And when did you then join Symantec? Uh, so Symantec acquired in 2002, Symantec acquired Riptech. Okay. 
Uh, and so Amit uh, went on to be the cybersecurity czar under um, uh, George, uh, under Bush 43. Yeah. And I took over the business unit and uh, ran that business for a number of years. Yeah doing managed security services, uh, also the threat intelligence group, and for a short time, the risk and compliance business at Symantec. Cool. And then RSA came after after that. Yeah, I got I got the the draft pick. Uh, he called me uh, back up and <laughs> asked, uh, asked me to take over the NetWitness business. And when he uh, became uh, president of RSA, I took over as chief product officer, equivalent of chief product officer there. Yeah, cool, cool. So when did you actually join Clarity? Because you were you doing a bit of advisory work prior and then, then took the shift across? You know, like about uh, at, shortly after I left RSA, I, you know, was kind of the cusp of turning 50 years old. And I, I don't know, I thought like, what do I want to do with the rest of my career? And uh, I decided I'd like, I, I didn't want to run some like mega organization again. Mm. I wanted to do something that I felt was personally meaningful to me that I felt like I could have an impact. And that was really kind of a core challenge that the world was dealing with and uh, came across this firm clarity. And I didn't know at the time uh, I, I, I really a lot about industrial cybersecurity and really recognize that this is both a unique problem, which we can talk about a little bit later, but also like an existential risk to the world, um, a, a risk to national security, public safety, economic security, as we saw play out a couple of years back with uh, the Colonial Pipeline yeah. hack, right? And so I recognized that this is something I wanted to do. And now at the time I joined, it was <laughs> it was a small organization, probably, I don't know, 10 million in ARR. Yeah. And now we, we've surpassed the $100 million mark and it's a big team. So I'm back to where I, I was running yeah. a big organization. But it's been really um, fun and uh, personally meaningful to both do something that is uh, – helping protect the world mm. and i don't mean that in like kind of a dudley do writer sense like but i i really think that if you if you you can choose what you want to do in life why not do something that you're helping people or you're protecting society um and so that was kind of a, a large part of it, but also helping the organization through different stages of growth i think i think was like really meaningful to me yeah absolutely you mentioned so going from 10 million hour arts to sort of where, where we are now how has the product evolved since you started? Because it seems like it has evolved quite a lot. Yeah. Well, well, for starters, let's kind of frame this unique space in the market mm. in that uh, we're, so many of us are in the area of IT security. And in IT security, in IT, it's a culture of change, right? That's why we do DevOps, we do cloud, we have fast innovation cycles, right? It's all about how quickly you can innovate and bring product to market. By definition, if you're not releasing it's waste, right, before you release. Um, and when we think about the world of uh, industrial cybersecurity, we have to remember these are in the plants. Uh, and it's a culture of safety. People get hurt in plants. And it's a, an area where if production is down, there could be millions of dollars lost every hour. So it's not a culture where change is wanted. In fact, people don't want change, right? People, it's, it's a culture of risk aversion. And the area that what I view is kind of really fascinating is that industrial cybersecurity is really it's a clash of cultures in that the same uh, this this risk averse nature that has to run that that has to be the culture within plants is now coming into direct conflict with so many organizations that are trying to connect their their plants up to the cloud to do like predictive analytics and just in time inventory all of these modern business efficiencies and competitive advantages to be gained uh, are 
in essence, cause, uh, opening up the plants to a lot of risk, yeah. right? So that's kind of the problem space. Now, Clarity started to your question about uh, nine years ago now, uh, focused on the area of uh, asset visibility yes. and, and, and asset protection uh, in the plants. It was an on-prem product because yeah. in plants, they don't want their data. There's an aversion to the cloud, right? <laughs> the plant needs, needs to be able to run without a connection to the internet. And, and that was very much the culture at the time. Now, over the past um, several years, there's been a lot of changes, but I'd say the most profound change that we did uh, was that we acquired uh, about two years ago a company called Medigate that was a uh, was and still is a leader in the healthcare cybersecurity space. So in hospitals, you have a cybersecurity team that needs to keep all the equipment safe, and you have a clinical engineering team that is in charge of the ventilators and MRIs and infusion pumps. They have to make sure all that stuff is, is ready to go. When we looked at it, it's, it's such an, uh, a parallel to the work that we do in industrial cybersecurity. And so that acquisition really did two major things for us. Uh, first, it, uh, it uh, was able to expand our market from industrial to healthcare. So yeah. it's a much bigger addressable market that we're going after. Second is that it brought into fo it gave us a world-class, you know, best-in-class SaaS platform that Mitigate had been using. And what we've done since then, we've moved all of our protocols, all of our features into the Mitigate SaaS platform. So if you're a healthcare customer, you see a healthcare skinned version of the product yeah. with healthcare features. If you're an industrial customer, you see a different, uh, same platform, but you get different features, different skin, different language that's, that's being used. So we, our goal is really to connect, I'll say speak our customers' love language <laughs> by helping them see that we understand their segment of the market. Um, and so expanding uh, that's that platform into SaaS, our industrial knowledge into SaaS, was an incredible um, uh, shift that we did as well. And at this point, you know, uh, I'll say that most of the deals that we're doing are SaaS. So I think the market has changed from an on-prem mind mindset to a SaaS mindset. Yeah. So that's like a couple of changes that, yeah, that we've yeah. done. Because when you took Medigate, that's what really sort of was, for me, super interesting. Because going from OT and then thinking about actually... IoT and the actual medical devices that are used to save people's lives. What actual impact could this have? Like a, a cyber attack on a medical device? Like, is it as bad as death? You know, it's it's funny because for years in cybersecurity, I've always tried to have like a voice of reason when we talk to media. When I talk to media or talk to the press or on podcasts, I, I just I have like a I don't know like a negative sentiment or negative reaction whenever there's fear mongering. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really is true when you look at industrial cybersecurity or healthcare cybersecurity, because these digital technologies being used can impact the physical world, there is the possibility of negative consequences. So there were two cases, I think in 2021, of patients that died because ransomware infected um, medical equipment in one case, and they couldn't perform diagnostics on a baby that was in distress. I think that was in Alabama. Uh, and there was a second case that the um, EHR, EMR systems could not, the, the, the uh, systems, all the medical records in a hospital in Germany could not be accessed due to ransomware. And a woman, the woman that was in distress, she had to be driven to another hospital and she uh, died, I, I think, in transit to the other hospital. So this, the first two named victims associated with healthcare cybersecurity. Um, our our uh, uh, vulnerability research team, and this team 82, 
did a what if analysis to see if they could hack a patient sensor, like a health mm-hmm. sensor, and they were able to find zero day vulnerabilities in it. They were able to show that you, you, you can make it seem as if a patient who is in distress that's going through a cardiac situation, their vitals will appear normal. Uh, and so you could, again, these are not typical hacks that someone would do, but it is possible to cause um, yeah. real damage to patient outcomes through hacking of technology. What other um, impacts and damages can be, because it's not just obviously medical devices, we've got other critical infrastructures like water facilities. I think there was a couple of incidents like a few weeks ago, Velio, and obviously the other side of the pond, we had Southern Water hacked. I think there was ransomware as well. What are some of the other impacts? Yeah, what, what I think is sometimes um, not always obvious is how much of the Western world's infrastructure is digitized these days. And that uh, the benefits that it gives us are so amazing for society, but the soft underbelly is digital risk. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we had this uh, colonial pipeline hack yep. in, two, in 2021 um, that, in essence, they while the OT systems themselves were intact, the organization could not positively assert that they, did, that they knew that. Uh, and so they had to shut down the pipelines as well. And so fuel could not... Be tra- uh, cannot be sent to most of the eastern seaboard. Gas prices spiked. There's questions of would military aircraft have sufficient fuel to do their, their missions. Uh, it shows that just a single ball bearing in the overall infrastructure can have a profound impact on economic security, national security, uh, and, and overall societal safety. Um, so that's, that's another yeah. example. There was, um, uh, you know, there was this case. It turned out, uh, well, it turned out to be. Uh, maybe uh, not a hack. There was initial thought that there was a water utility, yeah. that uh, the levels of lye were being changed in the water yes. supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it turns out that maybe it was operator error, yeah. but it, it puts into things that we once thought were fantastical that could never happen are now in the realm of possibility because so much of this physical world is being connected into the into the internet yeah, yeah. into the digital networks. What about the the asset owners specifically, like a CISO at an asset owner? What about the challenges for them in securing the their businesses? Yeah, look, I the the CISO, the challenge for the CISO is is pretty profound in that um, he or she may be given responsibility for OT and IoT an extended yeah. charter. But the plants are where the business happens. And so there's a, uh, one of the largest food and bev companies we work, worked with. There was a board level edict that uh, the plants all needed to be secure. They needed to have OT security in place. And still, despite the fact that it was a board funded initiative, the individual that was our primary lead on the, on the project still had to go through convincing all of the site leads about the the. Uh, the importance of it, right? There's, so there can be a lot of resistance. Um, some of it is fictitious thinking that, well, we haven't been hacked before. Why do we need it now, yeah. right? There's there's sometimes um, uh, IT has sometimes run scans in these environments and caused uh, uh, impact to the environment. And so IT may have a bad name in some of these environments. So there's a lot of challenges that they need to work through yeah. in terms of culture, um, uh uh, demonstrating the the the, the um, safety of these types of systems, but ultimately it's for a good end, which is to ensure that there's an overall posture that's being secured across yeah, yeah. the entire kit. Is there any like advice or like any practical advice you can give any like practitioners specifically? You know, I, th- I think 
Um, one of the most important things, if I, if I were put into the position of being the CISO in an asset-intensive enterprise, mm -hmm. thing one I would do is conduct a, conduct a risk assessment of the environment. Um, it's one thing to not be aware, negligence, but once you are aware, it moves you, uh, sorry, ignorance. Once you are aware, it moves you very quickly from ignorance to negligence if you don't do anything about it. So I think you have to make the problem real and concrete and um, on the radar of, of a risk to the board. So there's like the boards are used to thinking about liquidity risk, supply chain risk, um, legal risk, but they're not used to thinking about cyber risk as a, a risk that as an equal seat at the table with these other areas. And I think the key is, is demonstrating uh, what the, the size and scope of the problem is, also demonstrating there's a lot of regulations coming out now, helping organizations understand what the penalties are for non-compliance can be. Uh, I think that's probably the most important first step. Um, second step is, I think, building relationships with the, uh, with the plant owners um, to help them understand how uh, advancing the line of work, the, 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 the work is not only good for the company and the security program, but it also benefits the process engineers and control engineers because they can have an active uh, real-time view of what's going on within the plant. So I, I, th I think bridge building is an important step. Um, I think, you know, third is, is really just getting alignment around, like trying, to, trying not to bite off too much, being really clear about what the journey looks like and, and the long-term journey, but also being clear about what, what the first step on that journey is and, and being uh, open and willing to learn together with, with your partners within yeah. the OT organization. Oh, nice. I think it's really timely because we, I think it was yesterday or the day before, the FBI, it's all on the news about how there's a warning that China's attacking critical infrastructure of the US. Obviously, big news. What about the government's response to it? So you mentioned there's going to be some more regulations coming out. Does there need to be more? What's your take on it at the moment? Yeah, like it's, it's really interesting. Over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, the thought process had been to focus to that free market forces will dictate what organizations do, meaning that if I don't put proper defenses in place and I were to get attacked, um, I'm going to have brand and reputational damage as a result of that break in. And so therefore, I don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'll invest in mitigating my risk. Well, the past 20 years have demonstrated the free market forces are not are not working, that organizations, especially those in critical infrastructure, haven't in invested sufficiently in many cases to mitigate the risk of a cyber intrusion. Uh, and so therefore, U.S. government is part of the White House strategy that came out recently, essentially said that the, the number one priority has to be on, on protecting critical infrastructure. And the U.S. government has the ability to regulate, as do other governments around the world. Uh, and that's in essence to help, given the, the, the gap that exists between the actual security uh, posture and where it needs to be, it's to raise the floor. It's to yeah. raise the bar from the, from the bottom up. And it's not just the U.S. government that's doing it. Australia has uh, legislation, this too, within Europe. There's so many pieces of legislation or um, regulation that is coming out because there's a pronounced concern regarding risks to national security and economic security. Yeah, yeah. What about the, as the chief product officer, what's the future look like for, for Clarity and its products specifically? Because um, for me, the, the, the thought of medical devices, critical infrastructure needs securing. There's obviously a lot of legacy systems. The OEMs need to come in. The government needs to bring in more regulations. And it's just a bit of a whirlwind of chaos. 
what what's what's next and for, for clarity so you're looking to get a scoop on the roadmap yeah absolutely <laughs> look i think that um a number of, of areas are, are really important to us um first and foremost no matter how many bells and whistles that any vendor can come out with the two most important things is asset an accurate asset inventory and ease of deployment yeah. Not the sexiest things, but you know what? If you don't have an accurate asset inventory, then the OT team won't trust the inventory. The security team won't trust the inventory. If you can't trust the inventory, no value you can deliver on top of that matters. And so we've done a Herculean effort to instrument the heck out of our visibility to know exactly where it is at any time and drive continuous improvements to that. So that's kind of thing one is you have to have a really solid foundation. Second, what I'd say is that if I'm a customer, like the only re- like I, I would I would want to purchase most of my capabilities from a single vendor, right? I can maximize my buying power. Uh, these things are going to be built to work effectively together, uh, but that's not always the case because there are new problems that only individual startups can solve. Clarity is at a stage now in its growth where we move beyond an individual point product. We now have multiple different offerings within our portfolio. We have um, Xdome, which is our, our SaaS offering. We have uh, secure remote access for uh, uh, secure access for from for third parties to change uh, the firmware levels or change configurations of equipment. We also have capability known as Clarity Edge to do agent-based assessments. So we have a broad portfolio. And so what we're going to look to do is continue continue to uh, extend that portfolio into other adjacent areas yeah. so that customers can maximize their spend from one vendor. And at the same time, we're building these things to work effectively together. Uh, so I can't tip my hat too far forward and tell you what exactly we're working on. <laughs> Any acquisitions coming up? <laughs> we will always, so we have a vision and acquisitions are to uh, accelerate the execution of that vision. So we're always going to be looking in the marketplace to, find, to see if there's other uh, other companies to acquire, but I, but I think those those really two trends make sure the foundations are solid, and again there's areas that we're looking to extend into, um, you know that that we're charting out. Brilliant, Grant. I wish you all the best of success. Thanks yeah. for coming on the show, mate. Pleasure and, uh, seeing you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues, as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website, www.aspronsearch.com.